Hello and welcome to another edition of the Nosebleeds podcast alongside Devin Clementi, Emmanuel Barbari recapping the All-Star game, looking ahead to the second half of action in Major League Baseball. Devin, we are both on hand in Cleveland this past yes, week. Yes, sir. Quite the experience and really when you think about New York from that standpoint, Yankees and Mets all over the place. It, it, it was honestly unbelievable. I mean, we, we, we've been talking about it for, for days now, but literally the one of the greatest home run derbies we've ever seen then the next day you have Tanaka getting the win Alonzo with a couple RBIs I mean it was New York players all over the place it was fantastic really nice to see for Alonzo too he has the great first half he's just a great guy he's so humble speaking to him both of us before the home run derby making all those analogies with the English muffin and the jelly and then yeah He really backs up his word. He he has a mindset, and he sticks to it. It's been the case the entire year, proving doubters wrong, as yep. we were talking about with the defense and the de- defensive concerns, really breaking out as an offensive player, as a power threat in this league. And then the strategy paid off in the home run derby. Look, yes, it did. I know Vladimir Guerrero stole all the thunder early in the derby, but Alonzo, you could tell with all that rest, it, he just squeaked by the first couple of rounds, then he got it done. For sure. And, and listen – you know, everybody wants to talk about how Vlad hit 91 homers, and I do not want to take anything away from Vlad. Right. That was probably the greatest performance we've ever seen in the Home Run Derby. It's up there with Josh Hamilton's 28 in one round. I mean, just unbelievable, unbelievable showcases. But Pete never had the swing-offs that Vlad did. Pete didn't use any of the extra time. And listen, when you're going second, obviously it's it's a little bit of an advantage to know how many you have to hit. But when you see Vladimir Guerrero Jr. put up 22 that's also a lot of pressure on you. And for him to win on a walk-off blast with like five seconds to go was just electric. And it was clutch. Starting with Vlad, I was impressed by the fact that he was able to replicate 28, oh, 29 home unreal. runs, which Josh Hamilton couldn't do yeah. uh, back when that happened. That's a great point, actually. He, he did two consecutive rounds. And then the third round where he looked exhausted. Yeah. He looked exhausted in the third round. And still put up 22. 22. So that was the most impressive part to me. Alonzo, though, you make a good point that – if Alonzo had the swing-offs and the extra time that Vlad Jr. had, he I think been, he puts up around 91 home he runs. He would have had quite a few more. And listen, and again, like other, uh, Matt Chapman's dad, for example, he was throwing him garbage during the during his <laughs> Trying to strike him out. Exactly. It looked like there was movement on those pitches. In the first round for Alonzo, it looked like he was getting, you know, some 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 garbage tosses from his his cousin, his pitcher as well. It took so. them a while to find a it groove. Did. Even it really did. Midway through the second round, you saw yeah. Alonzo fishing at some off-speed yeah. offerings. So, really impressive from Alonzo to get it done. And look, for a kid who's having an outstanding rookie year and is making around five hundred thousand dollars, I know he's donating a lot of it, which is a great humanitarian it was awesome, act. Yes. But to double that salary is really something. It, 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 it's it, really an accomplishment. Absolutely. I mean, think about. You know, in in a sport where it's so interesting because you get so much production from the players that are young and in their 20s, but players don't get paid until they're on the downside of their careers in their 30s. So for a guy like Alonzo, who's doing so much for the Mets this year, who just put on a show representing the team, not only in the Home Run Derby, but also in the All-Star Game with his two RBIs, for him to now get rewarded for that and, you know, being one of the more underpaid players in the league, all as all the young stars are, to double his salary, make... 900,000 with the 100,000 that he's donating. I mean, that's unbelievable for him. It's an unbelievable story, and it's just a a feel-good moment, I think, for the city. Fast forward to the All-Star game, and someone brought it up to me a couple weeks ago. Should Cleveland do something for CeCe Sabathia? Shouldn't they at least bring him to the game? Now, 
it holds extra significance because he started his career there. Yeah. And it all kind of tied together. It was a perfect storm for CC Sabathia. Yeah. But uh, there were some people who thought maybe they should just bring him to the game. He doesn't have to be an all-star per se, but it's his final year, kind of like they did for Derek Jeter didn't deserve to start his final year, but they brought him there. Mariano Rivera did deserve to pitch yes. because he was great in his final year, but they brought him there. Bring CC Sabathia there, and I think the commissioner made the right move. Uh, a nice tribute. They had him throw out the first pitch. They had him come out to the mound in the ninth inning. Nothing major, nothing to really interfere with the game, but he got a very nice send-off from the fans. It was so cool because I can't – maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you can point out something different, but I can't remember really anything like that where a guy wasn't technically an all-star, but he really got the all-star experience. He got his jersey. He he was hanging out with the players before the field. Even you and I were there for the press conferences the day before. He had his own station with – you, you know – he really, it, it, they treated him as though he was an all-star, even if he technically didn't make the team. And I thought that that was just really cool of them to do and, you know, to give to not only a legend, but a former Cleveland star and a future Hall of Famer. I think the extra treatment is what made the difference because people have thrown out first pitches before. They've been yep. serenaded before. But CC, even after the game, when he made his post-game remarks, yeah. he came out of the shower yeah. almost as if he had played in the game. So it, the fact that they gave him the jersey, they let him be around his younger Yankee teammates, mm-hmm. which was important to him, I think, and just give him that experience as if he was in the All-Star game for the last time, I think that was really cool. It was a nice job by Major League Baseball. And it really deepened the Yankees' All-Star pool because you already were dealing with guys who really deserve to be there. Yeah. DJ LeMahieu and Gary Sanchez, both deserving starters. Masahiro Tanaka added late, maybe not an all-star this year. He was but a borderline. He was a borderline all-star until the London start. And then Aroldis Chapman obviously deserved to be there, and Glaber sure. Torres did as well. So really six all-stars for the Yankees. Five of them played, and a lot of them made an impact. Glaber didn't see much in the game. DJ was kind of taking it in stride. But Tanaka gets a win. Yep. Very nice inning. He struck out Bellinger. Yes. Chapman, I think that was the best I saw him this year. Listen, Ch- <laughs> Chapman is Chapman is not my favorite player and not my favorite Yankee, but he looked unhittable in the ninth inning. No one was uh, touching it, him. It wasn't even honestly, it wasn't even close. It wasn't even close. Twelve pitches, nine strikes. His slider was falling off the table. Yeah. He was throwing ninety nine. So, uh, give me that a roll to Chapman in the second half. Sanchez ropes a double in his final lap back. Good to see him get involved. And we're talking so much about the Alonzo home run derby, but. He drives in two runs in the All-Star game. He made it a little interesting there in the eighth inning. He really did. Coming up with, listen, I think that they had the bases loaded with an out. I forgot who was up before him, but strikes out. Alonzo has now, you know, they're down by three runs, eighth inning, uh, bases loaded, and Alonzo comes through as a rookie with a two-RBI single. I mean, it was huge. And then he steals a base to get both runs in scoring position, the go-ahead run scoring position. Unfortunately, I think Mike Moustakis ended up ending the inning there, but he literally put them in a position to not just tie the game, but also potentially take the lead in the eighth inning in a high-pressure situation. I Don't quote me on this, but I believe he's the first rookie to have two RBIs in the All-Star game. I believe so. I believe I you're mean, right. I, it just really, uh, he, on the brightest stage, he really he, he And the he emotion. Yeah. You love the he emotion. Awesome. Pumping awesome. his fist all over the place. And Jacob deGrom, uh, we've seen him dominate the All-Star yep. game before. We've seen him take the ball and go up against the best of the best, but 
he gets the top of the order in his inning. I believe it was Springer. It was Springer. LeMahieu. Yep. And, and Trout. Trout. Yep. Seven pitches. It, unbelievable. And he made Springer's obviously, you know, one of the best players in the game. He made him look silly on the on a strikeout. It was it was great to see the you know Jeff McNeil. You wish that he would have gotten a hit because he's the batting. You wish right they would have gotten this picture up yeah. on the scoreboard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was he, that? <laughs> he steps up to the plate and they have Jeff McNeil's name, but they're showing J- Jacob Degrom. So that was interesting. But uh, especially for a guy that was so excited to be there, exactly. uh, talking to him. But um, but listen, I, I felt like the Mets stars really they, they in a disappointing season so far. They they gave the fans a, a feel good time at the All Star game, and we can use this as a good segue because I think the All Star game underscored how great of a core the Mets really have in place. When you For think sure. about it, they have some good pitching, they have some pitching that's underperformed, but they have that clear ace in Degrom. They have Alonzo, who's a budding star. McNeil, who quietly on his way to a batting title. Conforto, if he can come around and really be that stud. Yeah. Uh, those are three real centerpieces offensively. And now at the deadline, it's really a time to make some hard decisions. Mm-hmm. Because the Mets have some tradable pieces, and they also have a team that if they really wanted to go all in, they could go all in. But they're just not in a position to do so at this stage of the season. At, at, this, at this point right now, they're 10 games under. They, are, they have the second worst record in the National League. Right. They it would take it would take a you know really tremendous stretch uh, up until July 31st to turn that around. Now it's not impossible, but you also have to have to look at the situation and kind of um, you know uh, you, you got to try to figure out what their options are at the deadline. So to me, you know everybody wants to you know destroy this team for for whatever. There's been a lot of unfortunate things even off the field stuff with. You know, the whole Vargas and Callaway situation and Brody's throwing chairs. But the team, I think, is actually a very good team. They have the best offense they've had since 2006. The lineup is very strong, in my opinion. You got a 350 hitter leading off in Jeff McNeil. You have one of the best power hitters in the game who also is not just a power hitter. He's hitting 280 in Pete Alonso. Michael Conforto, I think, is one of the better all-around hitters in the NL. Um, the the lineup is is strong in my opinion. It's just and the starting pitching is strong as well. According to FanGraphs, they their starting pitching WAR is fifth in the league. It's the uh, the Astros, Dodgers, Twins, and Nationals are ahead of them. Those are the only teams ahead. Which of is them. pretty shocking it when you shocking. consider Syndergaard and Wheeler have underperformed. Right. They and not just a little Matt's bit. That's in the they, bullpen. They've underperformed a lot. Syndergaard and Wheeler. I think that that top three, DeGrom, Syndergaard, Wheeler, is still an elite top three in, in a rotation, especially if they're able to, you know, bring their performance back to where it should be in the second half. So I think with the offense and with the starting pitching, you have a really good thing going there. The On the other hand, the the bullpen has is tied for the worst war in all of baseball. They've blown 25, I, I think it's 25 saves this year. In the seventh inning or later, They've led 25 times and lost. Even if you win half of those games, they're a decent amount over 500. So this is a team that, in theory, should be pretty good, should be in the race for the division title, and should, at worst, be in the race for the wild card. Now, now some people have added all those 25 games and essentially said the Mets would be like a 60-win team, which is flawed when you consider some of those games the Mets came back to win. Sure, some yeah. of those games happened before the seventh inning where they For blew sure. it. But if you add like 10 or 15, Just I think 10. that's reasonable. Just 10, yeah. They're a 500 baseball team. Absolutely. And if they were a 500 baseball team right now, I think the Mets are more likely to buy than sell. 
because this is a team that went all in in the offseason. They, sure. they didn't necessarily make the Harper or Machado move, but they signed Ramos, Lowry. They made the Cano and Diaz trade, which is the essence of an all-in yep. move. So it's tough to say right now if you're the Mets, just sell. I could see a partial sell. I could see maybe Wheeler and Vargas going. Yep. But I'd have a tough time seeing a complete fire sale because that's tough to believe, especially completely counteracting what they did in the offseason. That would be tough to take. It would be super tough to take, and it would be counterintuitive too because I think, you know, Brody came here, and, you know, people people have been harsh on Brody. Personally, I actually I, I, I don't mind the job that he's done so far. In the offseason, I thought all of his moves were smart moves I, I on paper. I agree. Now, a lot of them haven't turned out great so far, but we've still got half a season to go in his first year as the GM. So let's see what happens. And, you know, for a complete fire sale, I would think that 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 includes, you know, trading a guy like Syndergaard or Conforto. And that's, I think, completely counterintuitive to what this team needs. You've got to build around your young core. If you want to trade a guy like Frazier, you know, I'm a Met fan, so that would hurt because I really like Todd Frazier. But that makes sense. If you want to trade a guy like Wilson Ramos, who hasn't really lived up to his billing so far, I get that. Trade Jason Vargas. Please get him away from this team. <laughs> you would be selling high, I'm which would board. be fantastic. I, I don't know how much you get for him, but at least you would be selling high. Zach Wheeler is the difficult one, right? Really difficult. Zach, he, he's got an expiring contract, but not just only this year, but for years now, he's made it very clear that he wants to be here. And teams are interested. To, teams are interested. He showed last season in his sec, in the second half, he had a lower ERA than Jacob deGrom. He had some, minuscule. It was like 1.5 or something. The guy has elite potential. He's got first-round pedigree. He was a former top prospect, and – He's basically a string bean on the mound that effortlessly pumps 100 miles an hour. Plus, he's got a nice slider and uh, a split fastball as as an out pitch. He's a really talented, really high uh, potential player. I think. You know, he reminds me a little bit of Garrett Cole, who was inconsistent with the Pirates, then went to the Astros and blew into the, one of the best pitchers in the league. If you put Wheeler on the Astros, I think I you're think, getting similar production, yeah, which absolutely. is scary. It is scary, and that's why, because I think that if you trade Zach Wheeler, I don't even know how much you're getting for him right now because he does have a 4, 4.3, 4.5 ERA, somewhere around there. So I don't know how much you're getting for him. And then if you trade him, you're significantly less likely to re-sign him. If I'm the Mets, obviously, you know, if I'm the Mets and I'm, you know, still under 500 at the deadline, sure, sell Vargas, sell Frazier, sell Ramos, whatever. I would be inclined to hold on to Wheeler because even though if you sell him, you're going to get something maybe kind of good, it's not enough to offset the the loss of you know, not having him moving forward. I know that he's on an expiring deal, but he's been inconsistent enough and has enough potential where I think that you could sign him to a relatively nice deal in the offseason. He's not going to get $100 million, but I would sign Zach Wheeler to a, I don't know, three-year, $40, $50 million deal, and I think that that would be fair to both parties. Now, Devin, do you expect the Mets to spend that money? Because if they don't trade him and Mm -hmm. then he walks, that's just... Misappropriation. That of what that was would be to that would be terrible. Okay, you get no assets. N- have for a, him. You you get nothing for him. Now the other thing that you could do is is you could extend a qualifying offer to him, and then you still get a compensation pick, a relatively high compensation Fair. pick. Even even then though, 
my goal in this situation would be to do whatever I can to keep Zach Wheeler on the team moving forward. You know, so maybe offer maybe, him an extension. Exactly, <laughs> offer an, an offer him an extension. Maybe you know Brody Van Wagen and I think needs to be having these conversations with him and getting a feel for is that likely or is that not likely? Because, but I think that the best case scenario for the Mets just with Zach Wheeler is having him moving forward. So if they get a sense talking to him that he's not going to be sticking around, which I don't think is likely. I've covered the team. I've heard things he has to say in, 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 the, in, the, in the clubhouse after the game. I get every indication that he wants to be here and wants to win here. So I think that they can sign him moving forward. So I would be, if I'm the GM, if I'm Brody Van Wagenen, I would be inclined to hold on to him, secure him moving forward, and if we need to sell, sell the other guys that are, that are on expiring contracts. And some people dislike Brody Van Wagenen for this attitude, but... I'm of the belief that although a vast majority of his offseason moves have failed, the Diaz-Cano yeah. move has been a major been failure. Horrible. Lowry's been a failure. Ramos hasn't panned out. You just go down the line. Justin yep. Wilson hasn't panned out. All these moves haven't come to fruition. I don't see him as a guy who is just going to give up after half a season Bingo. And, and have a complete fire sale. His mind doesn't think like that. He, he wants to see this through to the yep. end. So. The partial fire sale, fine. Frazier wasn't a guy that he acquired. Yeah, uh, Vargas wasn't a guy that he acquired. So if he wants to sell those guys high, mm-hmm. fine, do it. But I don't see Van Wagen and selling off guys like some people are saying. Trade Diaz, like no crazy. way, crazy. Twenty-five year old, crazy former elite reliever. He signed through twenty twenty-four. What are you talking Stop about right now? Those people <laughs> who are saying he's going to trade some young assets he's collected—that that's remarkable. I'd include Wheeler in those young assets. Yeah. So uh, I don't see a, a true scenario where. They're not trading him unless they get some major thing that blows them away. They're going to try to keep him as a Met. Now, over across town, Yankees starting the second half, 57 wins, first place in the AL East. All indications right now, and you can even crunch the numbers if you want. The Yankees play even 500 ball in the second half. Yep. They're probably winning this division. For sure. Yep. With the way they're positioned right now. And you'd expect them to play better than 500 ball. So I'm pretty confident right now the Yankees – are going to run away with this division. They have some important games right out of the gate. Blue Jays series, you want to stomp on them. The Rays come to town for four games. That might be the Rays' real last chance to work their way back into this race, that four-game set in the Bronx. So important games right off the bat. The Yankees can reset the rotation, but that's going to be the big question mark the second half is how they address the pitching. Yeah, and you know, you and I were talking about this at the All-Star game. There's a lot of chatter about – Madison Bumgarner. Uh, the, the Nationals are contending now, so that makes Max Scherzer even less likely. I, I'm, I don't even really think that that's a serious possibility. Nah. Um, but a lot of talk about guys like that. I, and I was telling you, one guy that I don't hear a lot about, who I think is super intriguing, who's ridiculously talented, and who has a decently large contract, so he probably wouldn't cost a lot of prospects, is Zach Greinke. Now, the Yankees are on his no-trade list, but that's gotten waived before in, in other cases. That would be a guy, he's got a 2.73 ERA. That would be a guy, if I'm a GM, that I'm looking at because the Yankees can take on that kind of money, and we know Brian Cashman loves to hang on to those prospects. You're not going to have to give up a Frazier or a Florial or, or probably not even a top-5 or top-10 guy in that type of deal. So I think to take on that kind of money and have Zach Granke pitching at near at the top of your rotation would be a boon for the team. And a lot of people will dismiss that idea because Zach Granke's had personality issues in the past and has pretty much said that he'd rather pitch a one-hitter than a no-hitter because the no-hitter yeah. would give him more attention. Yep. 
But the strange thing I find about Zach Granke's career is he went to L.A. and, and had the best year of his career. Exactly, exactly. Fitched like a 1-5 yes. in L.A. <laughs> and now all of a sudden, if the Yankees were linked, this is impossible. I don't think it's impossible. I'm just not sure if the Yankees are going to circle him on the list. Right, yeah. It's a good idea. I, I don't think it's a bad idea because he has pitched in a big market before and thrived. I'm just not sure if the Yankees are going to do it. And if Granke is off the list, the guy I need to get is Bumgarner. The numbers are declined a little bit. He's not the guy that carried the Giants to a World Series in 2014. We know that. Yeah. But he has the ability to manage a game, and he has that postseason pedigree that's never going to leave him. So I'm more comfortable getting a guy like Bumgarner in here on a rental deal, and you either re-sign him or don't in the offseason, than get an unknown, like a young, controllable pitcher where yeah. Cashman's going to try to get cute, and all of a sudden he blows up in the postseason. The Yankees have been there the past couple of years and just fell short on the big stage. They need to win a World Series this year. It's World Series or bust again for the Yankees. So if that means getting that veteran pitcher, I need a guy like Bumgarner there. If not, you need the most talented guy, and maybe the only guy of a higher tier would be like a Trevor Bauer. Yeah. But Bumgarner has to be the guy in terms of postseason pedigree. It's interesting, though, because we talk about other guys like, you know, Trevor Bauer. I've even seen some people talking about Luis Castillo on the Reds. I don't see that at all. Because the Reds are in it too. The Reds are in the it. NL he, Central is crazy. It, it, it's it's fantastic. The NL Central, but I even a guy like Trevor Bauer, like the Indians are eleven over five hundred right now. Like if I'm the if I'm if I'm churning the the GM of of the Indians, I have no reason to trade Trevor Bauer because this team is still in it. They still are probably getting Corey Kluber back this year. I think Clevenger is has either just come back or is on his way back. Uh, you, you know, you it's unfortunate what's going on with Carlos Carrasco, but hopefully that he's okay, you know, in the future. But that team, I still think, has a fairly bright future. They still have Francisco Lindor. Jose Ramirez is underperformed. So I don't if, – if I'm the GM of that team, I'm probably not trading Trevor, Trevor Bauer. I think the likeliest scenario for the Yankees is getting Madison Bumgarner. Now, if I do that, I don't know also if I'm going to re-sign him because – he came up so young, has a ton of mileage on that arm. You know, he even especially in the postseason, they used him like a starter and a reliever. So he was pitching on, you know, on not he a lot. So much he in pitched 2014. so much in 2014. So I and and we've already started to see a little bit of the regression. So I'm not sure that I would be willing to give a multi-year deal to to Bumgarner because he is also gonna uh, call for a lot of money, but. I do think I do like the idea of trading him for a postseason run, especially when this would be the first decade I think in their history that the Yankees haven't been to a World Series. Haven't been to a World Series. Now they've had decades, of course, where they haven't or, won a World right, Series. But aside from 09, 2010 to present, they have right. not been in the World Series. They need to change that this year, or else there will be fan vi- fan base revolt or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, I'm just kidding. They'll live, but it would be a very disappointing decade yep. if they didn't go to the World Series this year. So I want the guy with postseason pedigree. And that's kind of to my point where you can get a bum garner, you can trade a Frazier for him, and I'm fine doing that for a rental this year because you want to go to the World Series. Now, you look at how people have been reacting to this trade market. Twitter doesn't make a lot of sense because people expect the Yankees to go and get a Scherzer, and the Nationals are in it. Yeah, And all of a sudden, Bauer is an option. I know the Yankees scouted him. They're doing their due diligence. Sure. The Indians, if I'm the Indians and I'm 11 over 500, like you were saying, 
with all that's gone wrong, Ramirez being bad, and Jose Ramirez has been an MVP candidate the last couple of years. Kluber's been hurt the entire yeah. year. Clevenger just getting back. If I'm 11 over 500 in a playoff spot with all that going wrong, right. exactly. imagine what they could do when all is going right. Exactly. So I could even see the Indians making a play for the Central. Mm-hmm. They're not that far back of the Twins. So I'm not sure how Bauer is all of a sudden an option unless the Yankees are going to unload the farm system for Bauer, which I wouldn't see for a guy with no real yeah. postseason pedigree. So I want Bumgarner. That's the guy I want. Cashman was on MLB Network Radio this morning, and what he said was Luis Severino is if everything goes right this weekend. There's only if everything goes right this weekend with his evaluation. He's six or more weeks out from returning. <sighs> Which is, that's kind of a blow. Yeah. When Yankee fans wanted to get him back for the stretch run, I even considered it as a situation where Severino could come back fresh yeah. and really pump right. for a month and a half and really help the Yankees out, unlike years past where he's burned out. But six or more weeks, I was calculating it. Six weeks on the nose would be August 23rd. You don't expect it to be exactly six yeah. weeks. You're looking at September. If it's more, you're mid-September. And if there's somehow a setback or he's not good this weekend... Yep. That could be a season scenario. He's done for the year in that case. And and, and then, no. Uh, and no, and Cashman was saying, like, maybe we could have him as a 75-pitch starter or, or a reliever. I don't want him as a 75-pitch starter. Right, I, yeah. w- I either want a full starter or put him in the bullpen. Right, yeah. I think he'd be very valuable out of the bullpen as a guy who could let it loose in the bullpen yeah. or even give you multiple innings at times. Severino's shown dominance out of the bullpen even back to his early career. I'm fine with that, but... His season is definitely in jeopardy. I I wouldn't operate under the assumption you see Severino this year. You can't do that. No, his season's certainly in jeopardy. And in the case, we're talking about in a best case scenario about September. And then, you know, you're also talking about the fact that when guys typically come back from long layoffs or in the middle of a season, now we're talking about the end of a season, there's still a little bit of a grace period where they're trying to find their form and they're trying to get back into the swing of things. Be- because you don't have, you know, a spring training like you would normally at the start of the year. You're really talking about potentially, even if he does come back, not having Severino at his best or in his groove at all this season, potentially. This has been a really mismanaged injury, too, because he had a setback. They were about to bring him back. He was kind of building up towards full form. He got to 90%. Then they had him start throwing again without an MRI. And that was a second setback that's gotten him to this point. This has all of a sudden gone from like a May or June scenario to a season scenario, yeah. which is crazy to think. Almost the same deal with Batances, but they've kind of gotten a flyer on Batances because he's a reliever. And once he gets built back up, you think he can make an immediate impact. I think that's fair to believe. But Severino, you might get to the point where if you're looking at salvaging this season at all with him, he's going to be a bullpen guy come yeah. September in the postseason, which I'm okay with if you're going to acquire a pitcher. He could be very effective out there. But this is a scenario where you cannot rely on Severino whatsoever. You, and you're 100% right about the about the reliever thing where it's much easier for a reliever to come back and make an impact. I do not hate at all the idea of bringing Severino out of the bullpen as a huge piece in the postseason. You know, we saw early, very early in his career, uh, Mariano Rivera was used, I think, in the 96 postseason, and, and he lit it up for the Yankees and helped them get to a multiple World inning Se- guy. Multiple inning and helped them get to a World Series championship. Not only that, but tip uh, generally, relievers are, you know, inferior pitchers to starters. You see uh, starters that become bullpen pieces, they're, where they're, they're, uh, their skills play up in the bullpen. 
Severino, I think, is a guy that that would absolutely work with because he's already a guy that ha- that is among the hardest throwers in all of baseball. So if you put him in the bullpen, he's going to be able to use even more in a, in a in a short inning situation. I think his stuff certainly plays up in the bullpen. That could be an elite elite weapon in a already the best bullpen in baseball. And in a short series, you have a guy like Severino throwing 99 with a filthy slider. Yeah. That's really what he brings to the table. And he has a changeup as a starter. Maybe you won't see that as much out of the bullpen. But if the Yankees consider bullpenning a postseason game, which I don't think is out of the realm of possibility, let's say it's an elimination game mm-hmm. this year. They've had so much success using Chad Green and then following suit. Severino could be that middle inning guy. Yeah. If you go Green innings one and two or just inning one, and you go Severino two through four, two through five, you automatically go to Canley and you just start the bridge. It, it, that's a scary proclamation. I for, think that is scary. Actually. I think that's a possibility. Honestly, if if you're looking at a 60 to 75 pitch guy, like Cashman said, that could be in the cards. Maybe Severino coming out of the bullpen for innings three through six or it, something like that. And it would be easier on him as well. You're talking about a guy not having to, the first time through the order, not having to face the top of the order. Then when you do get to the top of the order, he's facing them for the first time. They haven't gotten a good look at him. That is just going to make him even more dominant in those middle innings. I, I think it's a I think it's a phenomenal idea and again it makes it easier on him too coming off of an injury and working his way back into playing shape. Now I'm excited about this idea because <laughs> I just came up with it. So it, that could be something we see from the Yankees moving down the road. But really, what it comes down to second half, getting the guys back healthy. Voigt should be back early next week at the latest. Stanton, that's a more severe injury. I think yeah. anything you get from Stanton is a bonus at this point. Absolutely. And his season is really going to be judged on what he does in October if he's back by then. That's what it was always going to be judged on after a bad postseason last year. Second half from Aaron Judge, I expect a big one. If he's healthy, he was kind of finding his groove before the All-Star break. you got to remember there's Aaron Judge. Yeah. Haven't seen peak Aaron Judge yet this year, even though he's been very effective when he's played. you got to expect a big second half from Aaron Judge at the plate. I expect a difference-making type stuff from him uh, from the offensive side of the ball, and that's a guy who could really carry you to the division title. Aaron Judge, you know, in in a relatively short career so far, has pretty much proven that you don't really have to question what he's going to do on the field. I think that the questions with him, you know, going back to last season and even his his big, uh, what was that, 2017, his big 2017, the questions with him has always been, you know, is he going to be able to stay on the field? You know, he was injured for a little while, I think, in 2017. He had some injuries last year too, right? And so, yeah, 2016 he ended the season with, with an oblique. Yeah, right, yeah. 2017 was his one full season, just right, dominated. Right, right. 2018, freak injury with the hand. With the, yeah, the hand. But then the oblique happens again this year. And that is my concern with him. Injury proneness is a problem. As, as long as he's on the field, I really don't have any questions with Aaron Judge's ability to perform. It's just, will he be there? For the rest of the season, I'm not sure. I I'm not sure that. either because he's a big guy. He's a very muscular guy. I- I'm not expecting a freak injury like the hit by pitch in the hand no, last that's year. Yeah. That's a different injury, but the oblique is a concern, and maybe a hamstring or a calf, something like that comes up. You always wonder with Judge, but when he's been on the field, man, I mean, it, Luke Voigt's having a special season yeah. at first base. Aaron Judge has a higher war. <laughs> and he's only played like thirty games. Yeah, that's how good Aaron Judge no, is. He, he's a, he's there's uh, he's undoubtedly a special player, and we haven't really seen a player like him. Even bigger guys like Frank Thomas, they don't have the skill set that Aaron Judge has. Aaron Judge hits the ball so hard that he still can hit for a high average as well. In addition to the home runs, and despite being a huge guy, he doesn't lumber around the outfield or around the bases either. He's relatively quick. He's quick. Know? So so we he's listen. There's no doubt that he's a special player. 
And as a baseball fan, you got to want to see him on the field. It's just he's got to stay on the field. That's it. And the good sign for Yankee fans, he has postseason experience now, was extremely good in that Red Sox yep. series last year, lit it up. So the Yankees got to be excited to see him in October baseball again. So before we wrap the show, let's go quick projections for the second half. Your MVP candidates from both leagues. Right now, it's very interesting in the National yep, League. Yeah. Bellinger and Yelich is a head-to-head race. You have no idea how it will turn. Right now, just based on how special of a season he has, I'm probably going Bellinger. Mm-hmm. He has better defense, higher yep. war. So I'm probably going Bellinger to finish first for MVP. But offensive numbers nearly identical. They're nearly identical, but I'm 100% with you. The difference to me between Cody Bellinger and Christian Yelich is Cody Bellinger is an absolute no doubt five tool player. Not that not that Yelich is uh, you know a detriment in the, in the in the outfield, but Cody Bellinger is a legitimate Gold Glove caliber player out there to go with a ton of speed in the outfield. He's got a ton of range, and I saw it firsthand in the Mets Dodgers series. He's got an absolute cannon in right field. I mean, that guy is he's he's to right now i think you know aside from mike trout is the poster boy for a five tool player and with what he's been able to do cutting down the strikeouts less than a strikeout a game in a time where everybody strikes out he's got 30 homers he's got a 330 average i'm going bellinger for mvp not only most valuable but he's on amazing Dodgers team. So yep. I think that's just a home run candidate. However you look at MVP considerations, I think Bellinger's going to end up getting it. AL, Mike Trout is having arguably his best year, and that's which hard is, to say. Which is stupid. Because like, he's been like <laughs> top three every year of his career. Yep. But I, I think he's going to win the MVP this year. So his numbers are absurd. Just just statistically, going, you know, an MVP season be measured by war is around, you know, 7-8 war. Mike Trout for his career averages like 10 war a year. Like the guy he is, might have 12 war this year. I mean, it's absurd just how good he is. And, you know, we don't even really appreciate it. You see plenty of guys that will be, you know, rise up on a, in any given year and be an MVP candidate. Yelich had his breakout season last year. We saw Stanton a couple of years ago just have a special season and put it all together to hit 59 home runs. Mike Trout has an MVP season every year of his career. Literally every year since he's been called up, he's been top three in MVP voting. That I mean, you can't really appreciate that. I mean, it's we haven't seen this level of dominance in baseball. I I don't even know since when. <laughs> it's crazy. He's going to be one special player when it's all said and done. He already is, and he's already passed like Miguel Cabrera in career war, yeah. which is I mean Miguel Cabrera has been around forever, and he's a prolific hitter, a uh, triple crown, triple winner. crown. <laughs> like come on, this is ridiculous what Mike Trout's doing. In terms of Cy Youngs, National League, Ryu's probably the front runner right now. So I, Scherzer's on a heck of a stretch. I think that it's to me this one is also a slam dunk. Max Scherzer. It, I can't I can't speak enough to to just how special Max Scherzer is. Now with the black eye. Now with yeah, with the black eye, but I mean he's a guy that when you watch him throw, he he's kind of like a sidearm guy. It looks like he should be injuring himself. He throws so hard with the I think the most spin on his fastball in the league, and yet he strikes out a million guys per nine innings, barely walks anybody, and yet he never gets hurt. I mean, he, to me, he's like our generation's version of Nolan Ryan. 230 uh, innings every he, year. Every single season. You would think that he would get hurt with how he throws, with how much he throws, and yet he doesn't he, he doesn't get hurt. He strikes out everybody, and unlike Nolan Ryan, walks nobody. He, the level of dominance that we've seen this guy and have, 
And keep in mind, the Nationals were 10 games under 500, just like the Mets not too long ago. He had an unreal June and almost single-handedly brought his team back into the into the postseason contention. I can, I think moving forward, I think he's going to overtake Ryu and 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 win his. I think it'll be his fourth Cy Young. Ridiculous. I, I think he's going to do it as well. He's close enough as is, and Scherzer is Scherzer. He has more of a track record. I think he's going to continue to have a brilliant second half, and he'll get the National League Cy Young in the American League. Verlander's up there again. Very close. Yeah. Very close. You have a couple pitchers with the lower ERA, per se. Charlie Morton's having a very good year in yep. Tampa as well. Verlander has been a victim to the long ball a lot this year. He was complaining at the All-Star game about the juiced balls. That was a big topic. <laughs> I-, I think Verlander has good enough of a second half to get it done. Yeah, So, and he plays on an excellent team. Um I with excellent defense, and that's huge. Uh, the two, the top two defensive teams, according to, to I think it's uh, defensive runs saved, is the is the uh, Astros and the Dodgers. So when you have excellent defense behind you too, I think that's a huge help. It's tough for me. I think that the AL race has a few more candidates than the NL right now. I'm gonna go with a dark horse candidate just because I I love the way he acts on and off the field. I love the stuff that I'm seeing this season from him in a breakout year. I'm gonna go Lucas Giolito. Wow, I I didn't even consider him, but he's having an amazing year for Chicago. He really and is. And I'm excited to see what he does in the second half because he even early on in the season, his first couple starts, he was a little shaky, and then he was unreal for like eight starts straight. I'm I'm excited to see what he does moving forward. So Giolito for Devin in the AL. We both agree on Scherzer in the yep. NL, and it's going to be Bellinger and Trout for MVPs. I think you can book those. That's just going to happen unless they get hurt. Yep. World Series pick. Uh, I'm going to go the pick that's been talked about so much. Everyone was talking about the All-Star game as a preview with Tanaka getting the win, Kershaw the loss, Chapman the save. I think it's a Yankees-Dodgers year, and I think that's going to be a highly publicized World Series. And I really think the only other candidate right now it, it, unless something drastically changes at the trade deadline the Astros yeah because I, I could see the Yankees and Astros very well meeting up in the ALCS I just think the Yankees get over the hump this year and get to the World Series to face the Dodgers so so again the AL I think is very close between those two teams I don't know that I mean the Red Sox obviously you can't count them out with having won the title last year having a great young core to me I think that the most complete team in all of baseball is the Astros. I think that they have an unreal bullpen. You know, Presley, um, I think, has a has an ERA under one. Um, <laughs> they have Verlander and Cole at the at the front of that rotation. Then one through five in their order can can all be MVP candidates any given year with Altuve and Springer and and uh, Correa. I mean, and and Brantley's having a fantastic year. So to me, the Astros are the most complete team in baseball right now. I'm going to pick them to go to the World Series in the AL. Um, in the NL, man, I don't want to do this. I want to root for the Mets. Come on. <laughs> but but if I had to make my pick today, I mean, I'm going to go with the most complete team, I think, right now in the NL, and that's and that's the Dodgers with the MVP candidate in Bellinger. So I'm going to go Astros, a repeat of 2017 Astros-Dodgers. Which would be a very good series, as I think would be Yankees-Dodgers. So it should be a fun second half and a fun postseason at that. Devin, it's been fun. It was a fun week in Cleveland. He's Devin Clemente. I'm Emmanuel Barbari. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast. Catch us every week on WFUVsports.org.